Thank you, Ed. <clears throat> well, this morning, we're going to uh, continue on our series on 1 Kings, and we're actually uh, closely approaching the end of 1 Kings. Today, we're, we're going to kind of hit the highlights of two particular chapters, chapters 20 and 21. But this is going to be one of those messages of, do you see King Ahab? Don't be like King Ahab. All right, this is definitely going to be one of those. Uh, Some really amazing things happen in these two chapters. And um, they make me think about God's um, incredible mercy and grace that he extends towards us. The things that happen in this chapter also just remind me of uh, his powers unlimited. Uh, God does some amazing things in this chapter 20 that uh, were just against all human odds that, uh, his, uh, that the Israelites would win these battles. Uh, there was just no way they should have won. And so, uh, so I just come to you this morning as, as one who's saying, listen, you know, God is enough. Um, if you don't know Christ as Savior, and as Nick shared, uh, how we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, um, the, the, the word Jehovah Jireh, God provides, he is enough for you. He will provide for you. Uh, he, you know, whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is that you are uh, battling right now, uh, his uh, resources are unlimited, all right? And so you just need to know that and that you can rely on him, all right? So let's go to prayer this morning here before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you uh, are an amazing God a God who has incredible patient love towards your people. And we also are just thankful that we have here before us uh, the printed word of God. We, we know what your will is. We know what your desire is for us. We know how to walk with you, to live a life, uh, living, you know, walking with God. Uh, you, you've put it right here in black and white. And so, Lord, we're so thankful for that. And we just pray, God, I pray that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would just be moving in our midst today, work in our hearts, uh, give us ears to hear, because we know without your intervention, we can't really get it. We can't really get it into the core of our being where it needs to be. Uh, Lord, change us, make us more like Jesus, help us to be more loving, more holy, Uh, help us to have a heart for people like you have. And so, Heavenly Father, we just ask uh, for your grace and your help right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so so like I said, I'm going to kind of hit some highlights here. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation today, uh, just hitting some highlights. And so um, what we need to know here is we're covering these these two chapters, but I want to read to you here... Uh, the first opening verses here of chapter 20 of 1 Kings. And so whether you're reading uh, there in your printed Bible, whether you're following along with a uh, some uh, Bible app or whatever, I would encourage you to do that. 1 Kings 20. It says, About that time, King Ben-Hadad of Aram uh, mobilized his army. Now, you need to know this is uh, basically Syria. This is a Syrian king. Okay, And it says, He mobilized his army. And supported by the chariots and horses of 32 allied kings. 
And they went to besiege Samaria, the capital of Israel, and launched attacks against it. Right? So this is this king of Syria and his 32 buddies and their armies coming to attack and, and, and really executing attacks on Israel, on God's people. And, and so this is what's happening and actually has happened because it says uh, he launched attacks against it. And Ben-Hadad, again, is that king's name of Syria. It says he sent messengers into the city to relay this message to King Ahab, King Ahab of Israel. And here's the message to King Ahab. He says, this is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and gold are mine, and so are your wives and the best of your children. He's like, I've got you dead to rights. Everything that's in the city is mine. <laughs> he took the city, basically, is what he's saying. And that's the message. So... Um, you know, and so what happens then is uh, the reply is, uh, he says, all right, my Lord, the king, Israel's king replied, all that I have is yours. And soon Ben-Hadad's messenger returned again and said, this is what Ben-Hadad says. I've already demanded that you give me your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. But about this time tomorrow, I will send my officials to search your palace and the homes of your officials, and they will take away everything you consider valuable. So not only am I going to take the, 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 uh, the wives you have, and I'm going to take uh, you know, all the valuables uh, there. And then Ahab basically summoned the leaders there, and he says, listen, I've agreed with this guy's demands that I would give him my wives and children and silver and gold. Don't give in to any more demands, all the elders and the people advised. So Ahab told the messengers from Ben-Hadad, say this to the Lord, my Lord, the king. I will give you everything you asked for the first time, but I cannot accept the last demand of yours. I find it interesting. You can have my wives and kids, but you can't have my stuff. This is a problem, don't you think? This guy's got some priorities mixed up, all right? Um, so, so now he's really ticked off Ben-Hadad. You know, he's not going to like that. So uh, Ben-Hadad is going to come in and basically says, you know, uh, I'm going to I'm just going to take care of business. We're just going to kill everybody. Um now w- what's interesting to me is all this is going on. All this back and forth and King Ahab of Israel, you remember he's seen the power of God. He has seen God at Mount Carmel and and uh you know with Elijah the prophet and he's seen God move in powerful ways and yet does not seek God's guidance or help. Uh, and, and that's the first thing I just, uh, the, the thing, the, uh, the many mistakes that I see Ahab making, and there are plenty, uh, but just that he did not seek God's guidance in his decision making, in spite of all the evidence uh, that he is the Lord. And, and so it's just, you know, I don't know why. It's just his, his heart is hard, his uh, or something. He's just not at all putting it together, or his heart is just totally rebellious toward God. And so um, I, I was just thinking, you know, what we need to do is say, you know, in this whole, this whole uh, angle of let's not be like Ahab, okay? Let's listen to God. Let's be people who are uh, people that, that seek God's guidance, okay, and seek his direction. Do you do that? 
You know, do you, do you seek God's guidance and his direction? Um, one, of the, one of the primary ways, I think, as believers, we should do that is we should be into the scriptures. We should be into the Bible. We should be, God has spoken. We, have a, we, 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 uh, we, we love and serve a God who speaks and has spoken, and he's spoken clearly in his word, right? Uh, I, I saw, I saw a, a picture of, of the, this picture. Anybody see this on Facebook here at some point? Uh, it, it was turned into a meme. I didn't use the meme form of this, but, but um, what I think of this and what I wanted to use this to illustrate is all the uh, people that are out whale watching, they're looking on this side of the boat, and the whale's like right at the back. He's right there. And this, I want to use this to illustrate of like, you know, God, give me a sign. And that's the people in the boat looking over there. And God's over here like, it's right in my word. Just read it. Right? And, and so, you know, and I'm not saying that God can't move us uh, individually or whatever. But, but I just think that we need to look in the word of God. That's where we need to get our direction. He speaks through his word. Okay? And so... Uh, I would just encourage you to regularly uh, get in God's Word. When I was uh, in a campus church years ago, one of the things that we were, uh, and I lived with some other Christian guys, we would ask each other regularly, hey, what is it that God is teaching you? What do you think God's trying to get through to you? And that was just commonplace. It's a regular thing. Uh, And the premise there is, by asking the question, what has God teaching you is that he is trying to teach you something. He is regularly communicating with you. You got that? And so I ask you this morning, and don't everybody shout at once, what is he teaching you? Right? What is he trying to get through to you, do you think? Um, because if you don't know, maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're not seeking. Maybe you're not really wanting to hear. You want to fill your life with noise so that you don't hear the still small voice of God coming through the scriptures. All right, so, so just, just think about that. And hopefully, um, you know, you will, if you, if you haven't already, start spending time with God in his word. You need a plan, you need a place, you need a time. Okay, it's that simple. Okay, uh, it's like an appointment with God. Okay, uh, I, I do the things that I plan. All right, and that's the way I am. Uh, now, I'm not a great planner. My wife's better than I am at this, but I'm just saying the things that are important to us, we make the time for, don't we? I mean, hey, I see people, you know, they're going to they're gonna, you know, come hell or high water. They're going to go to that one concert they want to go to. They're going to find babysitting for the kids. They're going to find the money. They're going, right? Uh, that's just a simple example, but, you know, how are we with our time with God? Is it like that? Do we protect it? Right, and uh, and so, so just just you know you know even fifteen twenty minutes with God, starting the Gospel of Mark or something, work your way through it a few verses at a time, uh, ten twelve verses, and this ask God to show you uh, what He's like, what His will for you is, how He wants you to love people, how He wants you to live. Okay, doesn't have to be complicated, because if your heart's right and it's open. He, it, it'll be like he's screaming, <laughs> right? He's going to be showing you stuff all the time, okay? All right, so, so get into God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Uh, seek godly counsel, right? Uh, if it's a 
significant decision, it's always a good idea to get other people, other godly people's input, okay? Get, get other people's input, and that's uh, been very helpful in my life over the years. And, uh, you know, I don't have to get counsel to buy, you know, should I buy this can of beans or that? That's not what we're talking about, you know. It's kind of some of the bigger, significant, life-changing decisions. Um, and just getting input um, from other believers that you trust and who you know, uh, you know, truly are uh, spirit-filled. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is that, you know, eventually you have to make a decision, don't you? <laughs> or whatever it is, uh, you know, some of it's time-driven. Uh, sometimes you have more time than what you, uh, you know, you have than what you know do with. It's some very distant decision. But, but the thing is, if you've got the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, you've got the Spirit of God, you got the counsel, you got the Word of God, then make a decision, a spirit-filled, informed decision, right? Some things aren't always black and white, right or wrong decisions. They're just, Lord, if there's, if there's some things I need to factor into this decision, show me. What are some biblical principles, some godly principles I could use to guide me and eliminate options that are not good for me or my family or whatever? Okay? But we need to be people who are seeking God's guidance and seeking his face in the word of God in prayer daily. Ahab wasn't like that. He just did stuff. Okay, He did whatever seemed right to him. Uh, and that's what he did. Now, What's amazing to me is the God of the Bible here, the, he is so amazingly patient and loving, even towards this guy who's been uh, turned uh, a blind eye to God, turned away from God, following idols and so on. Uh, and, and even after all this, though, what's happening, though, is God sends a prophet to him. He gets a message through to him, and that's the way God communicated right often in the Old Testament, speaking through a prophet, right? And so, um, so this is what happens here. And so you, we get into verses thirteen to thirty-four, and basically there are two battles that happen, two battles, right? I told you Ben Hadad's coming in, right? Uh, King Ahab totally dissed him and said, "No, you can have my wives and kids, but you can't have my stuff," right? And so, so. Uh, Ben-Hadad is coming in, it said, and then it says, verse 13, it says, Then a certain prophet came to see King Ahab, and, a, and King Ahab of Israel and told him, This is what the Lord says. Isn't this fascinating? God's speaking anyway, <laughs> even if he wasn't seeking him. I just tell you, that's the patient love of God. Ahab's like, over here like this, doing my own thing. God's like, hey, got a word for you. That's how God is. It's ama- ama- his amazing patient love. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Do you see all these enemy forces? Today, I will hand them all over to you. And then you, then you will know that I am Lord. You see that? Okay, remember, it's King Ben-Hadad and his 32 king buddies and all their armies coming against this little, little uh, army band, uh, so to speak, in comparison. Uh, but they're God's people. And, and Ahab asked, how will he do it? Good question, <laughs> right? How's this going to happen? And then he tells him how it's going to happen, right? All right. And so I just don't want to get into all the minutiae there. But then, then it says, um, uh, verse 9, ben, uh, excuse me, but Ahab's, excuse me, verse 19, but Ahab's provincial commanders and the entire army 
had now come out to fight. Each Israelite soldier killed his Aramean opponent, and suddenly the entire Aramean army panicked and fled. The Israelites chased them, but King Ben-Hadad and a few of his charioteers escaped on horses. However, the king of Israel destroyed the other horses and chariots and slaughtered the Arameans. Verse 22, Afterward, the prophet said to King Ahab, Get ready for another attack. Beginning, begin making plans now, for the king of Aram will come back next spring. It's like we're going to have another showdown. Okay? Their tails are running this time. They're going to be coming back. Okay? So again, you've got, you got to get the picture here. This is like 33 total armies. Little Israel. Okay? But it's God who's defeating them. These guys are stepping up. They're doing what they're going to do. But God is doing this. These guys fled in fear. I mean, that just sounds totally like, what are you running away from? You know, from a human standpoint. All right. So this, this uh, happens again. All right. This happens again. It says, verse 26, the following spring, he called up the Aramean army and marched out against Israel. This time at Aphek, Israel then mustered its army, set up supply lines and marched out for battle. All right. And then it says, uh, but, is, but the Israelite army looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to the vast Aramean forces that filled the countryside. Okay, here we go. Verse 28, then the man of God went to the king of Israel and said, this is what the Lord says. So the word, where the Lord's coming again to him, God's speaking to him again, even though he hasn't sought him out again. Even after giving the victory the first time, God's got a word for you. Here's what's going to happen. All right, so he says, uh, the Lord is the God of the hill. Okay, here, I'm sorry. Verse, verse uh, where was I at here? But Israelite army looked for the, yeah, they looked like flocks of the goats. Right, then the man of God went, this is verse 28, the man of God went uh, to the king of Israel and said, this is what the Lord says, the Arameans have said. So here's, here's what the rumor is. The other armies, this is what they're saying. Um, it says, uh, the Arameans have said, the Lord is the God of the hills and not the plains. So I will defeat, so what they're thinking, so I will defeat this vast army for you, then you will know that I am the Lord. So what you've got to realize is that uh, somebody had to come up for an excuse about why they lost against such a little army, right? Ben-Hadad and all his king buddies are like, well, well, what's happened is, that, you know, these guys, they fight really good in the hills, and that's why we lost, Okay. But we can flat out just kill them in the plains because we got our chariots, right? And the Israelites didn't fight really with chariots, okay? So they're like, hey, we're just going to slaughter these guys, get them down on the plains so that they had a nice little excuse. Um, and that's what the rumor was. But God said to uh, King Ahab, he said, so I will defeat this vast army for you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Do you sense a little repeat here? Then you know that I'm the Lord. Okay, I'm doing this. Then you know that I'm the Lord. He's trying to say, I'm trying to get through to your thick head. That's what he's doing, okay? Um, and by the way, I've been reading in my personal devotions, I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel. Do you know how many times it says in the book of Ezekiel, then you'll know that I'm the Lord? All this judgment's coming down out of Ezekiel's mouth, and I would not want his ministry. Okay, God, had, it was nothing, you know, come to a service. It was, if you came to a service with him, it was nothing but judgment, man. It wasn't an encouraging word, except for there will be a remnant one day. That was it. 
But the thing I thought about was he's trying to wake the people up. Whenever he's saying this, then you'll know that I'm Lord. In other words, I'm not acknowledging him as Lord now. That's why I have to say that. God's saying, this is why I'm doing this. So he's doing this positive thing, helping out Israel, uh, even while they're disobeying him, and hoping and praying. Well, not praying, but, you know, he's, he's just saying, I'm trying to give you a chance to repent here. All right, so then verse 29 uh, the two armies camped opposite each other for seven days, and on the seventh day, the battle began. The Israelites killed 100,000 Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest fled into the town of Aphek, but the wall fell on them and killed another 27,000. Ben-Hadad fled into the town and hid in a secret room. So the main king, he's on the run, man. God just routed everybody, and they get another victory. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. And uh, all through this time, though, this is the thing I was thinking about. All through this time, Ahab's not giving thanks to God. He's, we don't even have any word of acknowledgement from, from him. Thanks, God. It's really more like, oh, that was cool. See ya. You know, I got the help from God. I'm not acknowledging him as God, uh, you know, in his rightful place in my life. But thanks. You know, but he doesn't even say thanks, does he? We have no word of this whatsoever. And uh, so we need to be people who have thankful hearts, right? And, and who are looking at our lives, looking at those blessings and turning it back into thanks, right? So don't be like King Ahab, who all, God's doing all this stuff, uh, really, and, and it's really not deserved. <laughs> and it, not a word back to God, not a word. A couple of verses that remind me of Thanksgiving, uh, one is 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2, where it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty, uh, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. Ungrateful. One of the characteristics, it says, that it's going to get worse as the times go. Now, Ephesians 5, 4, along these same lines, says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. And then it says, But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I tell you what, do you tend to be sour? Do you tend to, uh, you know, think about this. When you're talking to other people, do they think that you're an encouraging person? Or do they just hear you complaining all the time? Right? So this, this, is more than just, this is more than just giving thanks to God, which we need to do for sure, but just having a thankful heart. If we have a thankful heart, that's going to come across horizontally in our relationships to one another, isn't it? But if I have a sour heart, a heart that's bitter, that's not thankful, I'm, going to, I'm just going to come across to you as bitter and sour and complaining and it's you know, there's almost not an encouraging word coming out of your mouth. And, and so, you know, as believers, we have so many things to be thankful for, just that we've been given uh, as the benefits of being believers, okay? Um, so, so what we need to do uh, if we struggle with this is repent, first of all, is just admit to God, God, I'm having a hard time. I, I, I see myself 
as someone who's just not, not been very pleasant to be around. I, I'm constantly railing on other people. I'm, not, I'm constantly complaining about the things in my life. And, uh, you know, versus giving thanks. Right? When the Bible said, when God said in the Bible, you know, do all things without grumbling or complaining, that wasn't a suggestion. Right? And it doesn't mean that we won't struggle. It doesn't mean, you know, we're gonna be, not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up in this era. We're going to find ourselves complaining. But when we do, we need to turn to the Lord, say, God, I'm sorry. I'm complaining about this. You're in control. Help me to see uh, the blessings I do have. And even though this situation is not turning out the way I want it to be, you're still in control. There's plenty of things I can praise you for, Lord. And even just praising you for this thing that's not turning out the way I want it to, I, because I know and I praise you that you are the sovereign Lord. And some of us need to do some heart work, okay? And I don't, I'm not, I don't know who that is. Maybe me, you know? We need to sit before the Lord and say, God, is this me? Is Pastor Greg, these verses about being thanks, thankful, am I that person that's not being thankful? Am I, do, do, when people talk about me or think about me, do they think I'm, a, I'm an encouraging person or do they think me I'm just kind of more, you know, for lack of a better phrase, a Debbie Downer? I have nothing against Debbies, right? <laughs> Uh, or, or, or doubting Dan, right? We'll, we'll keep it equal there. <laughs> uh, but you get the idea, you know? We, you know and, and if it helps you, put on some praise music or something, okay? Uh, if that's going to help you connect with God and be, have a thankful heart, you know, maybe it's the stuff, maybe it's the stuff you're listening to or reading that's, that's feeding you just all this, making you not joyful, Okay, But King Ahab definitely was not thankful to God for all the help that he received. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this because this kind of relates a little bit to one of the other things, but, but basically uh, what happened here in verses 35 to 43 of chapter 20 is the Lord told him at some point, we don't have the original record of when he told him, we only have the aftermath. He told him, he was supposed to take out Ben-Hadad. He's supposed to take him out, but he didn't. He spared him, all right? And so, uh, and, and what happened here, if you look in verse, uh, around verse 43, and the Lord sent a prophet again to him and gave him a word picture, by the way. It's an interesting word picture. Um, but, uh, but, but basically, this prophet kind of acts something out where, where he's trying to, you remember what, remember how, um, the prophet Nathan spoke to, to David, King David, came up with a word picture, right? David's like, man, I'd kill that guy. You to me, right? He, he kind of turned it right around. That's exactly what happens here. It's exactly what happens with the prophet, right? But, uh, and so the prophet says, um, you, you know, it says the prophet, verse 41, then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes. So he was playing a you know, he was disguising himself. And the king of Israel recognized him as the prophet, as one of the prophets. The prophet said to him, this is what the Lord says, because you have spared the man, meaning King ben, uh, king ben Hadad, because you have spared the man, I said, uh, I said, I can read this, really. I have spared the man, I said, must be destroyed. Now you must die in his place, and your people will die instead of his people. That's serious. I had to just turn right back around on him. It's like, because you didn't kill this guy I told you to take out. 
you will die, and so will your people. All right? So, so he disregarded the clear word of God. This wasn't like, oh, I wonder if God is telling me to do this. No, God told him what to do. We don't have a record of that, but we know he told him what to do because that's what God said. I told you, and you didn't do it. And so, you know, uh, he, he, we just need to be people that pursue the will of God. We need to be ones who, like, we, we actually care what God says written in his word. And by his grace, by his help, we live it out. Now, again, we'll fall short. That's what grace is for. That's what Jesus came to die on the cross for. But still, we pursue it, okay? We pursue it. All right, this last thing here. All of chapter 21. So at the very end of 20, here's what, here, so after God says, you're, you know, you're not going to survive and neither were your people. Listen, verse 43, listen to this. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria angry and sullen. He's ticked off and he's sad at the same time. He's got nobody to be mad at but himself, right? So... In this state of angriness and sullenness, you know what he does? He tries to get stuff. Stuff's going to try to satisfy this problem, his. So, you know, king can have basically anything he wants. Thing is, he wanted something someone else had. He wanted uh, this guy named Naboth had a vineyard. He wanted Naboth's vineyard. And it just, it just you know, you just can't, admit, you can't make this stuff up. It says, one day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. He's like, you can't pay me enough. There's not a price. This is my family's property. I'm not giving it up. Okay, and so, so he just you know, and he's just be just bent on having this vineyard. I mean, can you imagine that? It's just it's just silly. He wants this vineyard. Well, enter Jezebel. Okay, we've heard a lot about Jezebel, his wife, and she is nobody to be trifled with. Okay, uh, you do not mess with Jezebel. You get on her bad side, you'll just be dead. Okay, so what happens is she gets word of this. Um, and, and, and so Ahab complains to her in verse 6 of chapter 21. He says, I asked Naboth to sell me this vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. And then, and then, listen to this, man, this is not encouraging at all. You know what she says to him? Are you the king of Israel or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man or a mouse, exactly. That's just, I mean, that was just, you know, encouragement 101, not. Okay, you know, are you a man or a mouse? Step up. Exactly. That's what she's telling him, you know. <laughs> she says, get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. I could just hear her. You know, I could just hear her say, she's, she's sinister, man. She's devious. And she plots this thing. She gets people to do her dirty work, man. That's, <laughs> this is the way she works. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name as if she were Ahab. Uh, and making uh, false statements about Naboth, disparaging his character, and basically saying he's godless. So you know what they did? They stoned him. 
some of the people rose up and stoned him because of these false reports. Right? So, hey, so what happens then? So they accused Naboth, it says, this is verse 13. It says, uh, then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, he cursed God and the king. That's the claim. He cursed God and the king. That's what they're saying Naboth did. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. Verse 14, the town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, you know that vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just crazy. So Ahab, not even questioning uh, how this came to be, right? I'm sure he knew. I mean, he, he, you know, he knows his wife. So Ahab immediately, verse 16, went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. Like, right? And so now, we haven't heard from Elijah for a while, have we? Elijah the prophet pops onto the scene. Okay. Verse 17, but the Lord said to Elijah, go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. So the Lord's going to speak to the prophet Elijah, uh, speak to uh, Ahab through the prophet Elijah. And this is the message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, the dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they lick the blood of Naboth. You know, it just, it just doesn't, you know, it just gets worse and worse, and it can't get any worse than that, right? And so, so it's verse 20, it says, so my enemy, you have found me, Ahab claimed to Elijah. Remember that? He always saw, he always saw Elijah as his enemy, rather than seeing Ahab seeing that he's fighting God. He's just not getting it. Yes, Elijah answered. He says, I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Basha, son of Ahijah. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. This is the bottom line. Right? This is the bottom line. In fact, if you move on down to verse 25 in parenthesis in my Bible, it says, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did. How'd you like that on your epitaph? Nobody was more evil than this guy. And this is what was happening. And so, so he just, you know, his desire for other things just led him to totally drown out the hearing from God. He was tone deaf when it came to hearing from God, right? And, and let me just say this, you know, we're not killing people or anything like that. None of us is doing that, right? But, but when our hearts get all entangled in stuff and we start just wanting everything, and there's nothing wrong with things in and of themselves, right? But when our hearts just have desire after desire uh, uh, of wanting stuff that, you know, maybe stuff that we can't have right now but really want uh, or things that we can and we just are consumed with getting them. What happens is, you know, those things become idols to us. And, you know, we are here judging Ahab. <laughs> In a sense, we're no different sometimes. 
right? When we let these things take the place of God in our life, when these things are so central to what we do and consume so much of our time, right? Some people think this is an idol, right? Could be, depending on how you use it, right? Um, and I'm not against technology, you know that. Um, but, but I'm just saying, uh, we, need to, we need to be careful, right? And as the Scriptures tells us, tell us, right, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, right? Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. You know the things you're susceptible to. You know the things that, that kind of draw you away from the Lord. You know those relationships where maybe it's not so healthy for you and you shouldn't be spending so much time with that person that, that tends to kind of get you going the wrong direction, away from God, okay? And so we, we need to be careful and we need to tend our heart and guard it and protect it. Now, so that's, that's only something that you and I, again, have to address before God is, you know, what are the things or people who pull us away from God and away from, from pursuing holiness in God's ways? It's different for different people, okay? But we each have these things that tend to kind of pull us away from God instead of towards Him, all right? We need to eliminate those things and, and work towards um, those things, you know, getting, getting, shedding those things from our lives, Right, as it says in Matthew 6.33, right, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, right? All right. Last thing I want to say here for today, and that is just that, you know, uh, through all of this, through all of this, at the very end here, verse 28, well, uh, so Ahab heard this message, verse 27, he tore his clothes, dressed in burlap and fasted. He's, he's like, these are some evidences of repentance in his life, okay? And uh, he says he even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. After getting this word of judgment from the Lord, he is, it seems like he's really um, having a sorrow that's leading to repentance. In verse 27, it says, Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah after God sees this. He says, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons, and I will destroy his dynasty. In other words, in other words God, uh, because he saw that there was uh, some evidence of repentance in his heart, he's like, I'm not going to kill you right now. I'm going to let you live, but your dynasty will be cut off. I mean, that's pretty amazing. He didn't, he didn't need that. He didn't deserve that, right? He had no mercy. So, again, I, again, I just as I read this, I, I just simply think of, and I'm going to go to Psalm 86, uh, 15, and be the last verse to share with you. It just reminds me, again, as I look at the two chapters together, we, we've kind of been picking on Ahab. We've been talking about how not to be like an Ahab. But you put these two chapters together, you see the mercy and the grace of God. Time and time again, giving uh, Ahab a chance to repent. And he seemingly does. We'll have to see what happens next chapter, the last chapter next week. But let's look at Psalm 86, 15. 
here where it says, um, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Isn't that what we saw here in these two chapters? Did we not see God's long-suffering <laughs> for a guy that is just rebellious? And I thank God that he's that way because I've been rebellious, and I'll bet you have too at various points. Let's give thanks to God for his faithfulness, faithful love to us. Lord, we just thank you so much that you are this way, as Psalm 86 has said there, you're a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Then the psalmist says, look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. And Lord, we we pray that same thing, Lord. Look down on us, have mercy on us. Lord, thank you that you know, you don't treat us as we deserve. Uh, knowing Jesus Christ, all of our sin is forgiven, past, present, future. Yes, you do lovingly discipline us at times when we need it, because that's what a loving father does with his children. But nonetheless, uh, you're not wrathful towards us. Your, your wrath was poured out on your son, Jesus, instead of us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your compassion and your mercy. And Lord, help us to be that way towards others as well. As it says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.